This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. Good afternoon. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to Enterprise Biz Bites. As we look towards the end of the year, the holiday season, why not take a look at the travel and tourism industry? After all, it did go uh, undergo a dynamic and transformative journey back in 2022 and 2023 as uh, navigating the challenges posed by the lingering effects of the pandemic as well as global and regional economic and uh, economic conflict climates. A week ago, Transport Minister Anthony Loke told us that the government is targeting to increase the number of air passengers by 80% or about 88 million this year, adding that the number of passengers is expected to return to pre-COVID-19 levels next year. That seems to be the benchmark for all things now. Can we get back to pre-COVID levels before we start to grow beyond that? As of September this year, airports in the country had handled about 62.8 million passengers. Now that's great to hear that we are making this recovery, especially considering that the travel and tourism industry is a contributor to the country's economy and employment as well um, and should help us achieve our goal for the sector as noted in the tabling of budget 2024 last month of 26.1 million foreign travel uh, t- foreign tourist arrivals and an estimated domestic expenditure of just under 98 billion ringgit for the year 2026 that said it's not all progressive or growth uh, in in uh, it's not all positive a couple of weeks ago reports surfaced that destinations such as Langkawi had lost their luster and num- visitor numbers have been declining even for other domestic uh, even for domestic tourists the Langkawi Tourism Association in October said that 31 out of 163 F&B establishments registered with the LTA has shut operations while car rental companies have sold their assets again these are proxies for the state of tourism on the island and on these current developments, of course, there's a lot to get into, but these two, I guess, serve as foils for us to really dive into this topic. So on these current developments and with the commitment from the Malaysian government to invest in the sector or hopefully invest in the sector, we take a look at what the current state of the sector is, the gaps that we need to be addressing, and what can be done to stimulate growth for the travel and tourism industry here. Shedding light on this, in the studio, we have Hannah Pearson, founder of Pear Anderson, and Nigel Wong, the president of Mata or in the full name, Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents. Um, Hannah, Nigel, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. All right. Uh, Can I get you both to just step closer to the mics a little bit? There we go. Great. Uh, Nigel, first time in the studio with us, correct? Yeah, uh, this is... This is a really nice studio. Thank you very much. I know we've had plenty of calls in the past, so it's good to finally put a face to the name and voice. Uh, Hannah, uh, we've had, I think, uh, conversations as well. I think you were on the grill with Philip C. a few months back as well. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, I hope you won't grill me as hard as Philip did. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, we'll leave the grilling to the morning run and the breakfast grill. We're here to have a little bit of a look at the state of the industry, right? Um, and... Uh, I have got a wonderful quote here that my producer has put in for me. Confucius said, study the past if you would define the future. And the reason she's put that here is because as we look towards Visit Malaysia, Visit Malaysia Year 2026, um, let's look at the state of travel and tourism today, not just 2022 and 2023, but even the last few years, and dive into the key takeaways that we can learn and move forward. So, um, Nigel... Uh, what is, in your view, the current state of travel and tourism in Malaysia today? Well, um, as with most other countries around the world, we're still in a state of recovery. Uh, I think uh, projections are mostly that uh, you know tourism won't really get back to its pre-pandemic levels 
uh, until sometime next year. We're mm. optimistic about that. It looks like we're heading that way. Uh, although anything can change, you know, given all the things that are happening in the world today. But in terms of the Malaysian tourism industry, um, we are basically... Uh, you know, going along those trends. Uh, and I think where we are uh, probably experiencing a bit of difficulty, of course, is competition from our neighbours. Mm. And if we're talking about inbound tourism, competition is very, very fierce. Uh, we've got to fight very hard to make sure we stay on top of our game. Uh, in terms of outbound tourism, um, it's sort of limited by the availability of flights. Uh, generally, we're plodding along. We're getting there. We're getting better. But it's still going to take quite a bit of work before we um, get back to where we were before. And there's a lot of focus around foreign tourist arrivals. Can you tell us a little bit about why um, this matters to us from a tourism perspective? Well, when we have foreign tourist arrivals, basically, you know, it's tourists spending their dollars or whatever currency they, they do have here in Malaysia, which contributes significantly to our economy. Um, and, you know, foreign uh, tourists being tourists, we tend to spend a little bit more when we travel <laughs> overseas. So that's always a good thing. Uh, I do quite a bit of that myself. And so you can see why having more inbound tourists is actually better, uh, a better stimulus for our local economy. Uh, Hannah, uh, you have not just a local view, but also a regional view as well. Mm. Give us a sense for the current state of travel and tourism here in Malaysia. Um, I mean, the, obviously the lingering impacts of the pandemic as well, but how it also compares to uh, regional peers. It's a good question. I mean, I, I'd say that Malaysia is kind of middle of the pack when it comes to Southeast Asia, really. That's sad to hear. It's always the situation, right? So, <laughs> we're, not, we're not the best, but we're not the worst. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so you've got countries like Cambodia right now. And again, if we look at international tourist arrivals, and there's a whole debate, like, should that even be, is that absolute number what you should be looking at? But hmm. never mind, it's, it's what everybody is using right now as that proxy to see if people are doing better or not. Cambodia is at something like 90-something percent in terms of getting back to those 2019 levels. But actually, when you dive into those numbers, it's very different. Mm -hmm. um, so the way people are travelling into Cambodia is mainly by land. It's Thai travellers crossing the border. Many people presume to go gambling in the casinos. It's not quite that same tourism as international arrivals flying in. Um, so Malaysia's there about 70%, um, along with other people like Singapore pushing that. And actually, Thailand is around about there, but... Thailand's hit 23 million arrivals already this year. Um, Malaysia is, well, 12 million as of August. We don't quite know what the latest the full number, number is. Right? Yeah. I think expectations are between 15 and 18 mm. million if the pace continues, but we'll find out the numbers when they right. actually come in. Um, you mentioned Thailand there. So now Thailand obviously is a bigger population, bigger country, much bigger destinations as well. And we are from a tourist perspective, I think it's fair to say that we are lagging behind them. That said, they rely on tourism more economically. As Malaysia has a bit more of a diversified economy. Um, when you look at Thailand and other top destinations in the region, what do you think Malaysia as a, obviously it's not like a full-on top-down approach, but what do you think the Malaysian travel industry can do better to, I guess, hit those, the goal of being more like Thailand in terms of attracting tourists? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... No pressure whatsoever. No, no, no pressure, yeah. I mean, the thing is, how I see, when, when you compare people like Thailand and Malaysia, what Thailand is very, very good at is PR. Mm -hmm. Nearly every week they are in the press with a new campaign that they have come up with, a new acronym. <laughs> they love lots of different acronyms. But they do it. They, they go, have massive presence at travel trade shows worldwide, and they go all in. They really invest in promoting the tourism industry. 
and different regions are supporting that as well. Um, in Malaysia, you just don't see, I think, that that level of investment, but also that level of innovation. Mm-hmm. And sure, for Thailand, you can argue that they come out with all of these different campaigns. Every week is a different campaign. Um, you know, is any of it really going to stick? But at least they're trying something. They're thinking about new ideas. Um, they're not just rehashing a little bit the same old, same old that you could argue that a visit Malaysia year is, mm-hmm. right? It's just going back to those old techniques that you've used before. Is it really going to work? Um, we'll see. Uh, uh, what, I guess, you know, in this uh, establishing all the the many postponements of the Visit Malaysia year, I guess what is the hope that a Visit Malaysia year would do, right? Because, I mean, uh, you've made the point that maybe this is not as innovative, uh, but in the minds of, I guess, the people who've put it together, what are they hoping to achieve with this, like a one-year consolidated effort? Everyone's going to come together to make it work? What's the rationale here? Yeah, I mean, I think it is that, right? It's that idea, okay, let's rally the troops, let's get everybody super engaged, moving in the same direction, um, let's make sure all of our infrastructure is all in place for this year. But then the counter to that is, well, shouldn't the infrastructure and everything be there all the time? And what happens after that year? Are you going to carry on maintaining those facilities and everything else that you've put in place? Mm. And we've seen not only with Malaysia, but other countries as well. You know, next year is Visit Laos 2024. Um, there are plenty of other visit year somethings. Um, it's it's that, that renewed, that, that continuous focus. Really. Yeah. Nigel, um, talk to us a little bit about, I guess, where you feel, based on you know what uh, the work you do on the ground as well, uh, where you feel uh, Malaysia can, I guess, uh, be a bit more competitive when it comes to competing for foreign tourist arrivals, but also t- domestic tourism. Let's not put that. Uh, let's not ignore that. And um, how you feel Visit Malaysia Year fits into all this, or whether there's something better that can be done to promote the country. Well, I mean, like Anna said, and she's right, uh, VMY 2026 basically is a rallying call, you know, and by right, once you have that rallying call together, I remember uh, many, many decades ago when we had different Visit Malaysia years, uh, as a younger person back then, it was exciting, you know, Mm. everybody in the country got behind the whole vision of a Visit Malaysia year. It was a big event to be celebrated. Unfortunately, today, and I think one of the key things that we're missing out on here is a concerted effort uh, by the various sectors, both public and private, to rally behind that call. Uh, most people don't realise that tourism and VMI 2026 and the follow-on effects is basically much more important than just the money that's coming in, but basically how it affects the perception of the country mm. and thereby all the other industries that benefit from that positive perception. And so maybe, you know, answering your question, what is the one thing that we can do more effectively? And I would say that's going to have to be our messaging. And so like Hannah said, you know, Thailand is, is good at coming with lots and lots of messages. And I think that works because they're constantly on the minds of people when they say, where do we go? It's Thailand, right? Um, in terms of Malaysia, we've got all the attractions we need. But maybe something needs to be done a bit better in terms of how we deliver that message to the world and how we want the world to see Malaysia. And so perception uh, or the, the development of that perception is going to be key to that success 
for VMware 2026. Nigel, I want to pick your brain and yours as well, Hannah, on that a little further because this seems to be the constant struggle. Are we messaging enough? Are we promoting well? And are we marketing the country in a way that works because we seem to be getting drowned out by not just Thailand, by Singapore as well for different reasons. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Hannah Pearson, founder of Pear Anderson and Nigel Wong, the president of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents. And we're talking about the current and possibly future state of the Malaysian travel and tour industry uh, on the back of goals to hit 26 million for Visit Malaysia Year 2026. But uh, just as we go into the holiday season as well, I'm Roshan Kanesan. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Boring, fake, macho. BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9. I'm Roshan Kanesan and you're now listening to Enterprise BizBytes. Today we're speaking with Hannah Pearson, founder of Pear Anderson and Nigel Wong, the president of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, more commonly known as MATA. And we're taking a look at the current state of tour and travel industry here in Malaysia and perhaps ways we can rejuvenate it and better promote not just the country but our key destinations here. Um, Hannah and Nigel, thank you for sticking around with me and not running away when I turned off the mics earlier. <laughs> um, we ended the uh, last session talking a little bit about messaging, right? And this seems to be a clear weakness, I think, for the Malaysian travel business industry because you look at Singapore, um, their messaging, their marketing, their promotion is on point. They are always in the mediums that we are watching, right? Whether it is there's an F1 race going on, whether they are on in the movies or even just background to music videos uh, for certain artists. So I know Sri Lanka does a lot of this. Oh, people seem to be doing music video covers in Sri Lanka for some reason that show off its beaches. So this marketing and promotion has been targeted towards mediums that matter today. Um I guess, what can we do better to compete with both Thailand, who is more active in their promotion, and uh, Singapore, which is much bigger with their promotion? Nigel? I think uh, a couple of things we can look at, you know, first and foremost, the budget. Yes. Okay. Uh, given the strength or the lack of strength of our ringgit, you know, if we wanted to do anything significant and continuous, uh, you're going to need money to do that. Right. Because this is promotion overseas, correct? Yes, and that's that's the market we want. Those are the people we want to bring in, right? And so it's it's more than just you know creating great content. I mean, that's all part of it. But just being able to pay for the channels that we use, right? Uh, that's also equally important. Uh, I'm also going to be a little bit cheeky here. You know, uh, Mata is apolitical, but I have to say facts as it is. You know, uh, perception is not just in the marketing campaigns that we do, but it's also in what people hear in the news, mm -hmm. and nothing specific but you know things that go on politically tourism shouldn't be the collateral damage of politicking mm. and unfortunately as much as we want to promote the country people are watching uh, what the country is like and I, unfortunately we have to say that affects the perception of what Malaysia is and also contributes significantly to whether I want to travel to Malaysia or not. Nigel, what are the most high value targets in terms of uh, foreign, like which countries are we targeting or uh, which uh, foreign tourists are the most likely to visit Malaysia? 
Well, of course, we're targeting people closer to home, right? Uh, traditionally, and I think everybody is looking at China opening up much more. So yeah. China is going to be one of our major focuses. Uh, and of course, India, because, you know, the average Indian tourist now is... Um, quite travel savvy and they do spend money. Mm. Uh, apart from that, uh, of course, our ASEAN neighbours, which have been a mainstay of uh, the, you know, the Malaysian inbound scene. But we've also got to look further afield at Europe. Now, there may be some hesitation because of costs or whatever's happening in the world for them to travel so far, but people are travelling. And when they do come, because they've travelled so long to get here, they stay longer and they spend more. And so while we look at things closer to home, we also need to plan for and invest in those markets that are further afield. Hannah, anything to add to Nigel there? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, particularly when we're looking at the European markets, and this is perhaps not for next year, but this is, you know, coming in the next few years, is the fact that Europe is much, much more sensitive to sustainability and issues around that, issues about whether they should even get on a flight, right? All mm. of these things are much more in the conscious of travel consumers there now and consumers in general. Um, and I think that Malaysia needs to be preparing for that because it might get to the point where European tourists say, oh, actually, I don't know if I can justify flying halfway across the world to go on holiday. Mm. Unless perhaps there are, you know, tangible proof that those destinations are undertaking sustainability initiatives, which right now for Malaysia, I, I would argue, is kind of lagging behind, definitely behind Europe and behind some other countries um, in the region as well. Is that perhaps an opportunity then for some of the states within, say, Sabah, Sarawak, for example, Borneo states, because um, sustainability uh, can be used as a great marketing opportunity if you have, I don't know, a forest retreat or something along those lines. Um, anything? Any thoughts on that? Anna? Yeah, absolutely. So I was going to say in terms of promotion, um, I would say that Sarawak, um, Sabah are really doing a great job. Sarawak in particular, um, you know, they're really holding down on, they've got these five themes. It's culture, adventure, nature, food and festivals. And they, they're going all in on that. And that's what they stand for. That's what they are investing in. And that kind of works. And linked through that is that common theme around sustainability. Um, that's going to be their advantage versus other states um, where they're competing on and versus other destinations in the region too. Is that something that perhaps maybe the federal government or the federal authorities can look to, look to Sarawak to see how they've bandied together or at least have this kind of focus in terms of what we are aiming to promote here? You'd hope so, right? <laughs> You'd hope so. Um, I think I'll, I'll leave it there. And I think we, we all know how... how Right, but whether these things happen, but you would hope when there is a best in class mm. state like that and they are pushing things forward, that other states would say, Hey, I want to learn from you and not see it as a you know winner takes all. Mm. You'd hope they'd have a more collaborative approach. And you know, everyone during the pandemic was saying, Oh, you know, we're seeing a more collaborative environment. But as we're coming out of the pandemic, are we are we really? Nigel, are you seeing operators be more collaborative? Yes and no, but not in not in a very concerted way. You know, we could use a lot more uh, banding together, you know, and a lot more agreement on or a lot more alignment on how we're actually looking at tourism and how that contributes to the economy. So uh, there's a lot more that can be done. Well, where, what is the gap today, Nigel, in terms of getting people to work together? Well, if you're talking about the public and uh, private sector partnerships, mm. I think within the tourism industry, we do have that understanding. Uh, it comes down to the capacity of the different uh, state governments, of course, or also the individual operator. Uh, but I think what's more important now is that uh, we need 
the other government agencies to rally behind that call. So, for example, um, what they're doing at the Ministry of Transport, we seem to be heading in the right direction. You know, uh, There needs to be a lot more emphasis on how tourism plays a very, very significant role in that shift, You know, uh, that adoption of, of sustainability. right? And the grants or the help or the aid or the resources that are available to other industries should be made available to those in the tourism sector. And mm-hmm. if they are, not many people know about it. That's always one of those things, right? The marketing of the initiatives that are out there, the awareness, because you can have all of the different things in the budget, but if people don't know and don't take it up, then it kind of goes to waste, basically. You can just promote, say, that you're doing a big budget, but no one's actually utilizing it. Um before we move on to maybe you know the current state in terms of what are the more popular destinations and how we can build them up over time, uh, is there anything else you'd like to touch on in terms of from the promotion and marketing side of things? Anything that, to add in terms of either gaps in there or you know things that maybe uh, we've done well in the past? Because you know it doesn't all have to be negative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think that there needs to be a bit more focus on niches. Okay. Um, so if I take, you know, we, we can talk about Sabasaro, but it's applicable for other states as mm-hmm. well. You've got this niche that say bird watching. Yeah. Right. And bird watchers will pay a huge amount of money to go. And for me, it, it doesn't sound interesting at all, but there are some, some keen ones. Hopefully they're not listening and getting offended. But, you know, it's, it's, a, a very valuable market. And I think it's pinpointing these exact niches and then marketing to those people in those source markets. It's not doing like a one, one size fits all, you know, Malaysia, truly Asia, that's it. It's, it's going deep into what are the specific products that we have here and really showcasing that to the right people who've also got that disposable cash that they're going to spend. High value targets, essentially. Exactly. High, high value markets. Yep. Uh, Nigel, before I, I get your thoughts on that, uh, Hannah, are there any other examples of these high value customers, uh, travel, uh, travel tourists that we should be looking into? Or, sorry, high value Areas, you know, like um, so. Bird watching is one. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that was just a, oh, that was a, a, a <laughs> random one. But I mean, e- even if you look at Muslim-friendly tourism, yeah, for example, I mean, and I know that the government is talking here about you know advertising that, and it's a huge um, selling point for Malaysia if they get it right, and particularly if you're looking at marketing to, or basically you have to think outside the box, right? Mm-hmm. You can't just say, okay, Muslim markets are only Saudi Arabia, UAE, these, these Muslim majority countries. You need to be looking at the non-Muslim majority countries and marketing to UK, to Germany, to France, where there are sizable Muslim populations there and saying, mm-hmm. hey, well, come here and you can have a, a completely Muslim friendly experience and you could go eat McDonald's, but hey, guess what that McDonald's is, halal. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's all of those things. And I think Muslim travellers in general are more willing to, to pay if they are assured that they can have those Muslim-friendly services. Mm. The verticals that we should be focusing mm. on and thinking out of the box in terms of that. Uh, Nigel, anything to add in terms of anything we've missed on uh, marketing and messaging or anything else to add to what Hannah was talking about? Well, Hannah took the words right out of my mouth, right, uh, in terms of the marketing strategy. But there also needs to be uh, a realisation that even with all that marsh, uh, niche and targeted uh, advertising, uh, again, I'm going back to public perception, okay, you need to you need to also advertise that there are other things that Malaysia offers. I mean, Kuala Lumpur, for example.
example, is an extremely vibrant city, right? But we don't see a lot of that vibrancy being uh, advertised overseas. And look, I may want to come and see the monkeys, and hopefully that's not what we're known only for, monkeys. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, I also... I'm going to be flying into Kuala Lumpur. You know, what else is there for me? You know, what sort of shopping, what kind of luxuries, what sort of comforts, what sort of excitement am I going to get out of these cities? And on the note of culture as well, you know, um, it's more than just Chinese, Indian and Malay. You know, what about the rest of that rich diversity mm -hmm. that's all over the place? And so uh, apart from that general messaging, um, I think if we are able to sort of tighten that, you know, our marketing is going to be a lot more effective. Um, Nigel, with uh, this year, and uh, what have been some of the most popular um, tourist destinations here? Because just following up on, you know, KL can be many things, but given where we are today, um, what are our most touristed destinations? And is there more room to either grow them or look at other, promote other destinations? Okay, um we did have a chat with some of our uh, partners uh, on all, all over Malaysia and in general, okay, uh, the ecotourism destinations seem to be doing quite well. Mm -hmm. Their challenge is going to be uh, upgrading or upscaling their game. You know, we've got uh, fantastic places. Um, Danung Valley, for example, is a fantastic example. They've gotten to the point where people pay a lot more to go there and experience nature at its very, at its most natural, mm. for example. And these, uh, this can actually be replicated across the country if they have the willpower to do it uh, in the many national parks and attractions that we have. Now, islands, of course, especially the ones where they're famous for diving, that's obviously been very popular. Diving is becoming, it's really popular. Yes. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think we're probably running out of space in some of mm. these islands. And so, uh, again, uh, those have been very, very popular and they will continue to be popular, especially on the East Coast. We've got fantastic beaches, by the way, on the East Coast. Uh, and over on the peninsula, the western side, um, some of the cities like Penang uh, and, of course, uh, Ipoh, uh, Kuala Lumpur, they're all obviously more on the tourist trail and they've capitalized a lot on the uh, culture right, and the history that Malaysia has on the peninsula side. So that's where, in general, most of the attractions are going to be. And of course, Sabah Sarawak with the rest of their eco-adventures and attractions. Hannah, anything to add in terms of the most touristed spots here and how we can, I guess, grow them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what... All governments, I think, worldwide now are coming to this point as trying to decide, are we going to go for more tourists? Are we going to go back for quality tourists? Mm. We were just talking about high quality Increase tourists. Increase the spend, I suppose, Increase the numbers. spend. Um, and then how do we handle over-tourism? And no, we're not back at over-tourism problems yet in Malaysia. That would, be, <laughs> that would be nice. It would be a different conversation we'd be having this afternoon. But governments have still got a plan for that. Yeah. Um, and one of the great things is when you start diversifying all of these different locations, you spread that economic gain throughout the country as well. So right now you can see certain destinations are benefiting from tourism. Penang, for example, they have you know a, a lion's share of that. Langkawi. But other smaller destinations, like Nigel said, there are some plenty of others. Um, it would be great to spread that um, economic benefit to those different communities as well. But you have to do it in, I'm going to say that sustainable word again, they have to do it in a sustainable way. Because again, you can't suddenly put this village on the map and then it becomes inundated with people because everybody's seen it on Instagram. Um, it has to be managed in a really responsible way with a lot of thought going into that strategy. 
Now, uh, we're going to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about infrastructure and uh, also, I guess, how do we make Visit Malaysia Year 2026 a success and some thoughts on that. Folks, I've been speaking with Hannah Pearson, who is the founder at Pear Anderson, and Nigel Wong, the president of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, or as you might know them, MATA. And we've been talking about the current state of travel and tourism here in Malaysia and how we can rejuvenate and pro- propel it forward. I'm Roshan Kainasin. You've been listening to Enterprise Business Bites here on BFM 89.9, the business station. Big Front Man, BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshan Kainasan, and today I'm joined in the studio by Hannah Pearson, the founder of Pear Anderson, and Nigel Wong, the president of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, more commonly known as MATA. And we've been talking about the current state of travel and tourism here in Malaysia, as well as some thoughts on how to better market and promote the country as a tourist destination. Uh, Nigel, Hannah, we've spent a lot of time talking about the marketing part. We talked a little bit about the current state, the hot tourist spots and the maybe the, the richest in niches that we should be targeting. Uh, now, with all that said in mind, um, there's one particular thing that we should be talking about, and that's infrastructure. Um, ultimately, the first port of entry uh, for any tourist is going to be either a train station, a uh, a port or an airport. And these are the this is the first impression of a country that you're providing to our tourists. Um, there have been some complaints around the state of our airport today, our main international airport, given the aerotrain being down, but among other things as well. Um, give us a sense for what you're hearing about or what you're seeing as well in terms of the current state of the infrastructure that we need and how can we improve it, uh, Nigel? Okay, so um, travel really is about travel, mm-hmm. right? And one of the key uh, aspects to travel is, of course, transportation infrastructure. Uh, without planes, people don't come into the country. Without trains, without roads, we don't see anybody coming in. Uh, and so that being said, uh, there are a couple of projects that in the industry we were hoping would have kicked off uh, sooner rather than later. High-speed rail, for example, would be a great people mover. You know, we could get tourists who land in Singapore, uh, hop, skip and a jump straight up to Malaysia, all the way up north, you know, nice and easy. That would have been a fantastic boon for us. Um, on terms, in, in terms of air connectivity, of course, we can always use a lot more. And um, I think we need to look at uh, tourism here in a more strategic manner. Um, we're obviously, uh, in terms of infrastructure behind Singapore, right, in terms of being an air transport hub, but this gives us a fantastic opportunity to grab a lot more of that market share because we are cheaper, we are just as strategically located, uh, and we have much more room for expansion. And so if we can focus on upgrading our connectivity, making it um, not cheap, but reasonable uh, for airlines to even do transit hops, Hmm. Right, get them to be stationed in Malaysia. Eventually, quicker rather sooner rather than later, we can start looking at converting those transit passengers into staying passengers. Uh, probably last thing, cruises. Malaysia has a lot of beach, right? A lot of ports. If we can capitalize on making Malaysia a, uh, a an attractive cruise destination with ports where we can uh, disembark and embark passengers. Uh, that's going to add significantly to Malaysia as a uh, key strategic tourism destination. I would say for the cruises, it might make it into a more of a strategic destination, but in terms of 
okay, I'm just going to say sustainability again. Mm-hmm. It's it's really the, in my opinion, I think the the wrong way. And even if you look at Singapore, it's very interesting because they're really trying to position themselves as this sustainable destination. And then they're going all out. And they're going to have Disney's biggest cruise liner in the, the next few years. So I not all cruising is bad. You know, small ship cruising definitely has its benefits, but you have to be extremely careful about that extractive nature of cruises. You know, they come in, they dump the people, people go to the same operators that are owned by the ferries. Very little money actually stays in those local communities. And so you might get the numbers, but do you get the actual revenue staying in that destination and benefiting Mm. the local community? Um, Often not, I think, when you find around the world. Um, But I agree definitely when it comes to the airports, it needs to be upgraded. And actually Kuala Lumpur is the biggest mega hub in Asia Pacific. It's actually bigger than Changi because of all of those connectivities that they have. But I agree, I, I, you know, if you're looking on paper and thinking, would I rather transit in Changi Airport? Would I rather Chang, um, transit at uh, KLIA? I think everybody knows definitely what the answer would be, right? Changi is a destination in itself. Yeah, yeah. There's um, a lot of uh, excitement yeah. within it as well. Yeah, yeah. They just reopened another terminal. They've got some huge... Was it some huge LED waterfall, or like, you want to go just to see the airport? Guilty as guilty as charged. <laughs> see, there we go. But it's how do you then try and upgrade those facilities? And you know, it's probably unreasonable to expect it's going to reach Changi, um, but at least make it a comfortable stay, and then through that also encourage those people to stay a little bit longer to extend their trip, whether that's to go visit a different part of Malaysia and make it very easy to do that, or in KL itself. Maybe I'll just jump in here. A recent trip uh, I took overseas to Europe, Spain and London, you know, um, the one thing that mattered to me most as a passenger, especially a transit passenger, is the ease of going from one terminal to the next, mm. you know. And Malaysia doesn't have to become, uh, well, KLA doesn't have to become a Changi, you know. I mean, Singapore is small, they can do that. But if our facilities are top-notch, right, uh, uh, passengers get through the airport very easily. There's uh, clarity of direction. Baggage is handled properly. The premises are clean. It's bright. It's got all the basic comforts that a traveller could want. That could very easily put us on the map as a very, very attractive uh, transit uh, hub. You know. All right. Uh, anything else to add in terms of infrastructure, particularly the airports? Um, I think just the fact that the government is at least allocating money to develop Penang. Mm airport um, and you know they, they want to expand the passengers from 6.5 million to 12 million annually I think that that's great right to, to look beyond KLIA another port to of the entry another port of entry um, and building that up of course you know the infrastructure has got to be in place in Penang to be able to accommodate all of those extra people who are arriving at the airport but um, I think it's a smart strategy to, to focus on these different hubs throughout the country. Yeah, and um, obviously with KLA and KLA2 being connected by the ERL, it makes it easy to move between them and obviously different targeting for both those airports. Um, but uh, hopefully we can see more investment being put into the older one uh, so that it becomes, you know, it's supposed to be, I guess, a premium feeling given that it's not catering to low-cost carriers, correct? So I think maybe some uh, improvements there. I'm sure there are other people who feel this way uh, out there. Uh, but like we said, Budget 2024 has showing, is showing some promise towards the tourism industry. Government wants to make sure it puts its best foot forward for Visit Malaysia 2026. You've, they've postponed it from 25 to 26 now in a bit to make sure it's a success. So as we come to wrap up this session, um, what do we need to do to ensure that Visit Malaysia visit year, visit Malaysia year 2026 <laughs> is, I guess, 
worth our time and our effort and is successful. Nigel. Okay. Um, maybe a bit of tip there, uh, Roshan. If it's a mouthful, we just say VMY. VMY. It's, it's a okay. lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I think you, you hit on a very important thing here, the budget. Okay. Um, we feel that in this industry, the upcoming budget for 2024 is not significant enough, but we understand you know, that the government has its limitations at the moment. And we are hoping that when we move into 2025 and leading up to 2026, we will see a bigger allocation given towards uh, uh, the tourism industry. But I think what's more important than an increased budget is how that budget is delivered efficiently and effectively. So, for example, you have the budget come out and say, we've allocated X amount for um, trade engagement. But, you know, when the budget comes out, the processes in order to gain access to those funds takes three, four, five, six months, Mm. you know, and it's been happening in the past. So the mechanism of delivery needs to be better improved. Otherwise, by the time the industry gets access to those funds, we've already lost half the year. You know, so that's going to be one of the key factors as to whether our promotions are going to be effective or not. Um, I think the other key one is to look at those source markets where travellers are coming from and visas. Um, India, China, something needs... They're they're the ones who are going to be able to move the needle, basically, on this kind of campaign. And so you really need to look seriously at how do we either ease their visas, do we waive their visas like Thailand has just done? Um, but increasingly, I think Thailand is, is seeming that they, they want to liberalise more and more of their visa policies. We compete with Thailand. Countries like in China and in India, they're going to be looking and saying, well, I can go to Thailand visa free or I could go to Malaysia and I have to go through this whole rigmarole of getting a visa. Um, this is really going to play a key role. Making actually, sure it's that's, successful. that's actually something we never could understand, you know, where where all the other countries are having similar problems with people coming into their borders, they've liberalized. They've said, you know, we welcome you, come in. And, you know, we're not seeing, uh, you know, uh, refugees pouring in, for example, by the thousands, you know, or people overstaying their visas, you know, by the by the thousands either. It's not something that we, we shouldn't be keeping people out, right? Assume that everybody's guilty before charge. Let them come in and we can manage them from there. All right. Um, before we wrap up, any closing comments? Yeah, I've, I've perhaps been a little bit negative about <laughs> Malaysia. But as, as I always do like to remind everyone, it has so much potential. Yeah. I, I think that's what I, I, I get so passionate about because I'm here. I've been here for, for many years now. And there's so much potential in Malaysia, so many rich cultural resources. It's got everything here. It's just putting it all together. Um, and it's, 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 it's that part. So it's, it's not that we're lacking. We absolutely have the resources is just that packaging that, that last push that, that exactly. integration the exactly. packaging and putting one one foot forward together in mm-hmm. terms of what we present to the world yeah. uh, Nigel for, uh, closing remarks Anna's absolutely right we've got everything it takes to be a great destination uh, I think for us it's basically just saying to the rest of the uh, uh, you know the, the government agencies you know in different ministries um you know, we need to walk the talk, all right? If we all say that tourism is going to help save the country, it's going to be, uh, it's a low-hanging fruit that we can capitalise on, then let's do what we profess is true. Uh, work together with the tourism sector, make things possible, you know, and don't uh, hinder, you know, this push towards something we know it's going to be fantastic for the country. 
Hannah, Nigel, thank you so much, uh, both of you, for your time today. Thank you. Pleasure. Folks, I've been speaking with uh, Hannah Pearson and Hannah Pearson, founder of Pear Anderson and Nigel Wong, president of the Malaysian Association of Tour and Travel Agents, more commonly known as Mata. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. Our shows are also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just look up Enterprise BizBytes. I'm Roshi Kennison. This has been Enterprise BizBytes. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.